Hello, Marvelites. You're listening to Marvel's The Pull List, and I'm Ryan, a.k.a. Agent M. And I'm Tucker Marcus. And normally, mm-hmm. we're here to tell you all about the new comics that came out, tell you why we're excited for them, give you reasons to give us your money. But <laughs> here, we are doing something fun. We're going to be doing this all year long. We're celebrating Marvel's 80th anniversary. So we are... Looking back every month with a special episode on a specific decade or time span. Here, we're diving into the 30s and the 40s to look back at these issues with, I think you said this in the video, like our modern eyes, Mm -hmm. modern sensibilities. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I did something similar to this with C.B. Sobolski, Marvel Comics Editor-in-Chief, focused solely on one of the books we're going to talk about. So I've talked about it a bunch but I want to hear what you have to say about Marvel Comics mm-hmm. number one, Tucker. Yeah. We're starting in 1939 here, which means we're recording in black and white. There's a shade, like, splashing, cross-hatched, like, light upon us. You know, just, like, naturally, because we read so many comics, we read every book every week, so much of what is normal and expected, like, in a comic book today, you know, you kind of become blinded to it in a way because there are some books every now and then that are like whoa this was kind of mold breaking in a really interesting way recently like daughters of the dragon or something like that but looking back at these issues was really fun because you kind of get to see the seeds you know you get to go back in time you know literally and 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 see what started the way that marvel that makes comics um the way that panel structures are put together the way that that's evolved the way that the characters speak and marvel comics number one has a bunch of different stories in it this is still in the timely comics era on um, this is the first marvel you know using that word book tucker had yeah. you ever read this book before i doing think this? i think i did for some work thing but like a year ago or something yeah. like that so digging into it and there's a human torch story in here there's an angel story which is really fun and different there's, the angel is really interesting because yeah. he's more in the pulp vein, but yes. also of the superhero vein because he's wearing this outlandish costume. Yeah. But some of our This Week in Marvel listeners noted he's like the Punisher. Right. He straight up kills a bunch of bad guys. Yeah. That's really interesting because we have these enduring characters and in, in thinking of the Human Torch. Obviously, even though it's Jim Hammond, you know, we read a Jim Hammond story last week with Invaders Number 1 by Chip Zdarsky. And then Submariner and Kazar. There's a Kazar story in here. So it's really cool to see those and where like that started and, and those have continued to this day. But it's also really cool to see those characters that like kind of have fallen off and, you know, you don't really see that much anymore. And, and Angel is really interesting because he feels so of the era. He's this hard boiled kind of cop figure who is like so noir influenced. And it was really, really fun to just read that and know that like. That's hip. That's stylish. You know what I mean? That's like cool for the day. Yeah. That's actually something that I thought about recently. And, and I was thinking about when I was watching this. I recently, just over the weekend, I watched Yojimbo, um, mm. the Akira Kurosawa yeah. movie. And I obviously knew so much about the movie, and, and but it like never sat down to really like watch it and study it and take it in. What was really struck me was the soundtrack to that. That movie is like so striking. It's so good. I've just been listening to it nonstop. The theme song that like starts out in the title sequence is kind of like this mixture of like Japanese music, but also like big band. And, you know, that movie came out in the early 60s. Why I'm saying this is because it's so cool to see those things where it's just like 
having big band music like in a, in a samurai ronin story like that is like a current day superhero story or something like that like inserting like who knows like some like techno synth or like hip hop or something like that and just having that mixture of what was stylish and current of the time and how that was like influential and how that shaped what it was at the time and looking back and like knowing like anachronistically now like what would be like out of place now and what the equivalent would be and everything like that is really fun yeah like we were saying there's an angel story there's a submariner story there's a masked raider story in here which is like a he's a cool kind of cowboy character i'm gonna put it all out there masked raider story is not great yeah (laughs) there's i feel like we're far enough away from all this some of it is good some of it is just fine but it is really important. Yeah, exactly. Um, and we have a jungle terror story. We have a, a story called Burning Rubber, and then it finishes up with Adventures of Kazar, which we see quite a lot of in these issues. But yeah, you're exactly right. You know, like Marvel wasn't built on like relentless success to see that those things, which were, if you looked at them in isolation, you'd say, well, what is that? That's a failure. But knowing those little nuggets that you can only see if you're, you know, you're reading comics today and you see those little influences, uh, it's super fascinating. Yeah, we, um, C.B. Sobolski, Marvel Comics Editor-in-Chief, and I, we sat down and we went through each of these really in-depth for This Week in Marvel Unlimited Reading Club. We pulled out a bunch of tidbits. He and I had done a bunch of research about how this whole thing came together, uh, some really neat stuff about the Namor story. So if you want to learn more about this, check out that episode of This Week in Marvel. It's our special Reading Club episode that will be coming really, really soon. Mm -hmm. But we're going to keep going here. Next book up I want to talk about is Captain America Comics number one. Two years after Marvel Comics number one. This is wild because it's right here. Like almost everything you need to know about Captain America is Mm -hmm. right here front and center. It's by Jack Kirby and Joe Simon. But we get the origin. We get him battling Nazis. We get him and Bucky together. Uh, You get Camp Lehigh. We get the, you know, women swooning over Cap. We (laughs) get the vile, really grotesque Red Skull. It's just a huge packed issue. And... Yeah, if you read it, it might look rough to modern eyes, but it's still rock solid. Like, it is there. It is a pure beginning to Marvel and to Captain America. And Jack Kirby, his action is the best even back then. There's a a great shot in the second comic. There's a bunch of different stories in this. In the second one, where he hits one dude... And then that dude's head knocks into the dude behind him. (laughs) It's this one panel. You get the motion. You get the action. You get the power. Both have little sound effects of like suck sound on them. And it's so good. The action moves so fast. There's another panel of Cap leaping across to action. Like he's going uh, horizontally and he looks so badass, even though his costume isn't quite as refined Mm. as it would be in later days. And man, that original Red Skull of Kirby's is uh, uh. yeah. <laughs> he of course gets his in this story, but he comes back later over, over time. There are two non captain America backups in here featuring hurricane son <laughs> of Thor. And I don't remember another story featuring hurricane. Maybe we've had, it's a cool hero name. It is. It is. <laughs> also we have tuck cave boy. Oh, you know, I love this one. Yeah. T- that's T U K. But it nevertheless is. loved it. Yep. Fascinating thing about this. Joe Simon was 28. Jack Kirby was 24. Wow. When they did this. Wow. Like, I was looking at that. I was like, boggles the mind. Mm -hmm. So cool. Yeah. 
looking at those kind of perennial successes is so cool. And you read these things and you see like, this is the first super soldier serum story. Like it's all here. And you immediately think of every single piece of media, every single comic, every story you've ever seen where that story has been told. And just knowing that it all started on these panels and for some reason just connected in such a way that it's like still so relevant to this day, you know, now people all over the world know it. It's really cool. And it just makes me really appreciate exactly like you said, the work that these creators are doing, especially at such a young age. The next issue that we're digging into here is Marvel Mystery Comics number four, which is kind of the evolution of Marvel Comics, right? The title changed a little bit and then became Marvel Mystery Comics. This has another Human Torch story in here, which is called New York Hit by Green Flame. This is really interesting because how quickly the structure and the way that these comics are being drawn and put together, it's so fascinating to see how quickly it was evolving. Because you see like the, these very, very early books that are like, they must have been like directly influenced by like newspaper strips or something, right? Yeah, I mean, there, there are some comics, some other comics too that have been contemporary yeah. or right before them. There's newspaper strips, there's the pulp magazines of right. the time, there are the, you know, the radio serials, the short, like little bits and pieces coming yeah. from all over. The so you see like, but you see that and you see like a lot of like nine panel pages, just like very classic, really old school stories, maybe just like a few panels merged together for a kind of longer, you know, single panel or something like that. And then just like in this Marvel Mystery Comics number four, you see, you know, in this New York Hit by Green Flame story, you see like there's a great page where, the Human Torch is kind of like emerging like from these like newspapers and you're seeing all these headlines for like this great visual storytelling that like says, you know, this is who this character is. is he's known to the world. This is what's kind of going wrong on the in the world that he's trying to, to solve. And it just feels so dynamic. It feels so explosive in a way that is so fascinating and must have been mind blowing at the time as it was such a new thing. And this is all so inventive and in so many different ways, not just with these characters, but like I said, with the form itself, it's super cool to see methods that are still being used today, kind of just in their very first iterations, just in terms of like how a comic book is put together. One of the things that is interesting about all of this was like Marvel Comics number one, and CB and I talk about this a bunch. It came together because the publisher was like, I want to get into the comics business. Mm. I'm going to hire this outside company to put together this full thing for me. And so all of Marvel Comics number one was essentially done, packaged, put together by a studio hmm. and given to Martin Goodman. And then he brought basically brought them on. That's where it all sort of steamrolls from there. But they had no idea if it was going to be super yeah. successful. So that first... Human Torch story. We didn't get Jim Hammond as his name, mm -hmm. but this is only a couple months later. It's a runaway success. Right. Uh, one other thing I want to say before you move on to the next story, the, the Human Torch thing. Carl Burgos, the way he draws Human Torch in these early issues is so cool to me. He makes him really creepy, but also makes him very gleeful. Like Human Torch, he's basically birthed in Marvel Comics number one. Mm -hmm. And he's like, great, I'm alive. I'm just having fun. You're burning up. Hey, everything's happening. He's just like, it's so cool and vibrant. Right. That actually totally struck me as well. The kind of visualization of like his flame body and the way that that looks. Johnny Storm eventually became the most well-known version of, of that codename, but nevertheless, like those kind of perennial things that make up the human torch, no matter who is holding the mantle, seeing the streaks of fire behind him, seeing like the kind of motion blurry look to things. 
um, you know, it really makes you appreciate the like the visionary work being done here, which at the time certainly right wasn't thought of as that. You know, like nothing ever is. It's just like, oh, we got a story to tell. This is a cool idea. Let's go with it. After New York hit by Green Flame uh, in this issue, we have a Butch the Giant story. Uh, we have the Submariner goes to war. The Claim Jumpers warning enough. Electro. The Marvel of the Age is a story that we have another one called Ferret Mystery Detective. And then again, uh, we wrap up with Adventures of Kazar the Great. There's a one of the reasons why I chose this one is because this is the first appearance of Electro. Yeah. But look at the, the art on that story. It is magnificent. It mm. is really cool. The title page has this art deco vibe. Yeah. These cool bold colors it's so neat uh, like just the story is electro is a big robot printed <laughs> by professor zog to battle yeah, yeah. evil there's this panel in there that zog has tested electro and he's ready to fight evil so he calls an employment agency <laughs> looking for a dozen husky intelligent young men of courage and good character oh, come aren't on. we all you know yeah. i mean like that's really that gets down to all of our lives i used to shop in the husky section or oh. rather my mom would shop in the husky section for me i remember those days <laughs> that digs in a little bit deeper talk uh, t-u-c-k yeah <laughs> <laughs> bill everett stuff the way he draws a title page massively like delicate and finely tuned yeah. uh there's a character in here called knuckles johnson in one of the stories it's a big hoot yeah all right we're gonna keep on the marvel mystery comics train we're gonna go to marvel mystery comics number eight a couple months later this one is really special because it's the first meeting of two Marvel heroes. You have Namor and Human Torch face off and they're in back-to-back stories. And it's cool. It's again, remember, it's like this is done by a whole crew of people. So I don't know all the details. I'm just speculating that they were like, all right, let's do this. Bill, you take your Namor story and you tell this and I'll do my Human Torch story this way. So you get Carl Burgos doing a Human Torch story that follows along with the Namor story by Bill Everett. And it's so good. It's so, so good. Namor, we find out he's been trying to help humanity, but they tried to electrocute him. So he just loses. He goes on a rampage in New York, which is why the Torch goes after him. Torch is sort of, he's a police officer. He's he's a hero. But man, Namor, he kills. He destroys. He scoffs at the destruction. He goes to the Bronx Zoo. He lets the animals loose and messes with people. This is like my favorite sequence. I've made a lot of people check this out. <laughs> I don't like that he kills the animals. Like that part bums me out. He mm-hmm. actually kills a lion. He also throws an elephant. I'm like, Namor, <laughs> come on. These animals didn't do anything to you. They're not the people. Yeah. But he's let the elephants loose. And there's a woman who's pushing her baby around. And the elephants start rampaging. So she freaks out. She runs the baby falls. She leaves the baby. You're like, what is going on with this lady? Uh, so Namor sees this. He sees the elephant about to trample the baby. And he says, she's left that poor kid to die. Uh, so Namor, who's sworn to fight against humanity, ends up saving a baby. He throws the elephant. He takes the baby. He says, come on, kid. Picks it up. Takes it to a separate place, like a medical center. And they're like, what? The submariner... Uh, and he's like, yeah, but I mean, you know, harm. He says, this kid needs someone to look after him. And so the next panel is just the best. Uh, one of the people at the hospital says he couldn't be as bad as they say. And Namor turns around, looks at them and says, bah, stupid idiots. You'll see. And then he goes and he goes to destroy the George Washington Bridge. <laughs> I love Namor. Even then, he is so like a multitudinal character. Yeah. There's so much going on with him. The Human Torch, 
part of the story. It starts a little bit earlier. Torch is looking for Namor. And then it sort of, you see Torch going to clean up after Namor's rampage of destruction. So they, they end up starting to be in parallel. Uh, we've also got Angel and Masked Raider and Ferret and Kazar features, and they're all fine. There's a great Electro story in there. Steve Dahlman, the, the writer, artist, he's drawing things other than humans, and they look so weird and so cool. Electro and the planes that he draws and these dragon men, it's bizarre. Mm-hmm. Next up, we have uh, five issues later in Marvel Mystery Comics. This is Marvel Mystery Comics number 13, which is the first appearance of Vision, which is really, really cool. It's the exploration of like this kind of robot man thing you can tell is like a very fresh idea. And it's it's something that you can tell the creators found very exciting and really new and different. It like It's no coincidence, really, that these... Really cool, really energetic, fun stories started emerging in the early 40s, late 30s, early 40s. And then 20 years later, so you have to imagine like young kids reading these stories, picking them up for whatever, five cents or something like that. And then when those young kids grow up, to see them then come in and start telling stories of their own some 20 years later in the early 60s when we're getting into that generation that age of marvel comics history and that's what i'm thinking of vision it feels kind of like directly influential in terms of imagination to like the 60s for me this this one specifically and the avengers and and so many different heroes that popped up at that time it's cool to think of it in that way and to see this as part of a lineage, as a ladder, exactly like you were saying, where this is the foundation of so much. Uh, that's what I really loved about this. This, again, is a kind of a collection of stories, a bunch of different things. There's one of these, I don't even remember which one it is, but there's one where the Submariner has like a really different costume on. Do you know what I'm talking about? He has like a helmet with like some sort of like almost looking like breathing apparatus looking thing. It almost looks like an Ant-Man helmet. Or has like these kind of tubes coming out of the side and like a breather or something like that. Well, oh, one of the his cousin does. Is that right? Yeah, yes. yeah, his cousin does. Anyway, yeah, I loved that. I thought that was like such a cool look. Bill Everett is amazing. Yeah, like he co-creates Daredevil twenty years later with right. Stan Lee. Right, but then he's just doing super imaginative, beautiful stuff. Yeah. This is a really a particularly fun one to read. So very insightful by you, Tucker, because you hit the nail on the head. Mm. These comics were super influential for a certain generation. On This Week in Marvel, we did a deep dive on the Invaders. And the Invaders is really because Roy Thomas was reading comics in the 40s. Right. And he ended up in the 1970s when he was really at his at one of his peaks he was bringing in all these characters into the invaders. So all this stuff was completely like influencing him hardcore. We delve into that a lot on this week in Marvel. And then when you're talking about the vision, that is a Jack Kirby, Joe Simon creation. Mm -hmm. He is Arcus, the destroyer. (laughs) He's so cool. Or the destroyer of evil. I should say Arcus. We have a story called Tuck and we have a story called Arcus. Oh my god, it all ties together. (laughs) Arcus is a creature from another dimension who battles evil. He is brought to Earth through science and smoke. But you see his name, and you look at him, and yes, he was directly influential to the vision that we know from the 60s Marvel comics. He Even that first cover with him, 
has smoke around him. He's showing up. Right. There's a, a Terry Vance story. A pet that monkey. me up. Right? Yeah. Teenage yeah. detective. A pet monkey named Dr. Watson and a friend who's a reporter named Deadline Dawson. Yeah. So good. Yeah. But I, I got to make sure we talk about the Electro story before we go because do you know the modern cartoonist Michael Kupperman? He mm, would be right name. up your alley. Yeah. He did a little a couple of things for us over the years, but he did a thing on, um, I think, Adult Swim called Snake and Bacon. Mm. He is basically doing the style of art that Steve Dalman was doing for the Electro stories. Right. Like the cross-hatching, the lines, the panel structure, the colors, the robots, the monsters. It's the coolest thing in the issue to me. The Electro story is worth checking out. Highly suggest you you get into it. Also, Kazar talks to a lion this issue, so <laughs> get ready for that. Our last issue to really dive into is All Winners Comics, number one, 1941. Uh, and this one's got everything. It's got Cap, Bucky, Human Torch, Toro, Namor, the Angel, and the Black Marvel. There's, about all these stories, there are things that are problematic, mm-hmm. that they will rub your modern sensibilities the wrong way, the racial stuff. There's just different things that were, I guess, okay back then that don't feel right to us these days. So take that with a grain of salt, all these stories. But the, in the Human Torch story, he does some skywriting with his flames. It's really fun. Uh, there's the Cap and the Bucky story. They go up against zombies. It's big. It's bombastic. It has flashes of Jack being the king, even in 1941. It is gorgeous. Also, the Black Marvel story is something important because it's drawn by Al Avison and Al Gabriel, but it is written by Stan Lee, mm. which is really neat. It's not the first Stan Lee story. But it is very early in his career, and it's a lot of fun. You have Black Marvel being a masked vigilante who just whoops bad guys. He keeps his identity secret. He calls the bad guys rats. And Stan also writes a prose piece in the issue featuring all of the heroes together, something that we wouldn't really see properly for quite a while. Just a dream from a kid, but it's a very fun story to read. The Namor story, of course, super fun, well done. He throws some quips. There's one quote I pulled. He says, one for the money and two to show, a quick one, two, and out you go. <laughs> like That's great. I love it. It's so much fun. Oh, yeah. And he says, alley-oop. And he like tosses <laughs> them. Uh, he calls the German bad guys donkeys yeah. for some reason. <laughs> Although at one point he goes to rescue a woman. He actually gets messed up by a torpedo and then caught in like a propeller. And he's saved by the awesome woman who slaps him to wake him up. It's real funny. There's also an angel story in here. Yeah. Thinking about what you were mentioning about characters that were all introduced in kind of in a similar era, Jim Hammond, uh, Steve Rogers, Namor, and how those three became the three central figures in The Invaders, it really makes me appreciate reading this 80th anniversary stuff because it's also really cool to see the updated latest versions of these stories. And, you know, that was one of my favorite things about Chip Zdarsky's Invaders Number 1, which came out last week. Because at least since I started here and I started reading every book every week, uh, you know, Namor has kind of yet to really get his spotlight in a, in a book. He makes a, a lot of great cameos. He, I've been waiting for a book that really focuses him on him and makes him a main player outside of just like one or two story arcs. And that's something that is most exciting for me about Chip's Invaders Number 1. Because there's that stuff, I'm thinking particularly at the end, there's this kind of palace intrigue thing. There's there's a really fascinating look at the underwater world that he occupies, as well as like these themes that were established back in these issues, this dichotomy, this like life that he leads between like this like regal prince or king 
and how he kind of views his people as better than the kind of dirt walkers or whatever. <laughs> and then the kind of the humanity that exists within him and how he's a good guy. He's saving babies that are falling on the floor and stuff like that. That's something that I'm super excited about in the present day with new comics. And that's something that's, you know, makes me appreciate even more looking back at these stories. I like it a lot. Yeah. So all the books that we've mentioned, they're available on Marvel Unlimited. Mm-hmm. One thing before we go, I want to shout out some other issues of the 40s that could be on your Marvel's pull list if you had a lot of money, because not all of these are readily available. We haven't yeah. reprinted all of them, but All Winners Comics from 1946, issue number 19, features the first appearance of the All Winners Squad, the sort of prototype to the Invaders. we we'll talk about that a lot on This Week in Marvel. Young Allies, number one, is kind of the first Marvel team. And that's from 1941. Uh, They are young allies. (laughs) Uh, Crazy Comics number one is a big important one that I wish I could get my hands on. It is the first appearance of Ziggy Pig and Silly Seal. Oh, come on. Captain America Comics number 59 is the first appearance of Jeff Mace and Fred Davis as Captain America and Bucky. That's 1946. Miss America Comics number two is the first appearance of Patsy Walker. All Western Winners number two is the first appearance of Black Rider. Two-Gun Kid number one is the first appearance of Two-Gun Kid. That's 1948. (laughs) Kid Cult number one is the first appearance of Kid Cult. Ah. That's 1948. All Select Comics number 11 is the first appearance of Blonde Phantom from 1946. Millie the Model number one, 1945, first appearance of Millie. Marvel Tales number 93. So it goes Marvel Comics, Marvel Mystery Comics, Marvel Tales. Mm. Marvel Tales number 93 in 1949 is when the book goes horror. believe this is the one where Cap goes to hell to fight the devil. Cool. It's either 93 or 94. Mystic Comics number six is the first appearance of the Destroyer. Mystic Comics number four is the first appearance of the original Black Widow, not Natasha, different character. And the last one, Captain America's Weird Tales number 74, another Cap horror book. It's just fun stuff. I love the word weird. Yeah. I really love it. Not in a way that's like colloquially modern where it's like, oh, that's off, but weird in a way that's like, unnatural yeah. you know what i mean disturbing yeah, yeah i think that i love that hell yeah that wraps up our pull list for the 30s and 40s we're going to do this again next month talking about some books from the 50s mm. but we're going to have a mix of i think monster stories sci-fi stuff horror we'll see what we we pick up and what is available for you guys to read on more tuck we have to find out if Tuck ever shows up again. He's <laughs> one and done. I'm not really sure. <laughs> anyway, I'm Ryan. And I'm Tucker. This is Marvel. Your universe.